Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. We believe that public schools are the best schools and they are the only ones that should be publicly funded because they are the only ones that are publicly accountable. They are the only ones that are publicly available to all children to all teachers, to all cleaners, to all administrators, regardless of what their religious or other beliefs might be or even what kind of people or sexual preferences they have. Now, we also believe in separation of church and state as the only way around the religious liberty problem, which surfaces from time to time to greater or lesser extent when you are dealing with issues in education and hasn't it surfaced with a vengeance in the last few weeks. Now we've had three press releases, uh, press release 724 and 725 and now we're having the third one today, 726 as we promised. This is Religious Liberty Part 3, and you will find it on our website at www.adogs.info. It's a pretty long one today, so I won't be able to uh, read it all, but um, I'll give you the idea of it. Is religious liberty a fundamental human right, or is it part of a balancing act in discrimination legislation? The Australian public at the moment, more and more, I believe, see it as just a balancing act. But I'm not sure that the dogs take that view. A coalition of Liberal, Nationals, Labor and Crossbench Senators are canvassing amendments to Senator Smith's bill to preserve, not religious liberty, no, parental choice, to protect faith-based charities and to shield individuals from adverse consequences for defending traditional marriage. They have not yet reached a consensus. So I had a look at the Catholic News of what they're interested in. And the Catholic News tell me that Senator Brandis told the ABC's Q&A program, and a lot of us would have seen that, I'm sure, that the private bill that's been put forward by the Liberal Senator Dean Smith to change the Marriage Act could include a declaratory statement in line with Article 18 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. If anyone is particularly interested in this, then you should acquire a book, that's if you're academically interested, acquire a book by Meg Wallace on what this all really means, this Article 18. Uh, she's not very impressed with, uh, it's, with it at all, especially since it is administered by a committee that is dominated by Middle Eastern countries like Saudi Arabia. But anyway, what does this article that Senator Brandis is going to offer those interested in religious liberty? Everyone, we're told, shall have the right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion. I don't think many people would disagree with that. This right shall include freedom to have or to adopt a religion or belief of his choice and freedom, either individually or in community with others and in public or private, to manifest his religion or belief in worship, observance, practice and teaching. 
But Section 4 of Article 18 also says, The state's parties to the present covenant undertake to have respect for the liberty of parents and, when applicable, legal guardians to ensure the religious and moral education of their children in conformity with their own convictions. Now, Senator Brandis said, I think it will do no harm to have a declaratory statement in the bill based on the language of Article 18 of the ICCPR to the effect that nothing in the bill can limit or take away from a person's right to manifest their religious faith by worship, practice, observance or teaching. But if we introduce these words, I make no difference whatsoever to the right of same-sex people to marry, but they might provide a level of reassurance to those who are not convinced to vote yes. Well, the question, of course, is what legal force does a mere declaratory statement have? And is this the best that a once-powerful Catholic Church can squeeze out of the corridors of power? And even if a declaratory clause protects religious freedom, will it apply consistently for all faiths, such as those which wish to practice Sharia or Aboriginal customary law? Once again, dogs suggest that those who are genuinely interested in freedom of and from religion should go back to Section 116 of the Australian Constitution and look at what has happened since the dogs case in 1981. Now, we promised you last week that we would give this, and a lot has happened since the Dogs case of 1981. As we've mentioned before, there's been the Acts Interpretation Amendment Act of 1984, which meant that in 1988, the actual convention debates, the original constitutional convention debates, were allowed into the High Court for the first time since 1901 as evidence of the intentions of the Founding Fathers. But there's also been a lot of case law since 1981. Now, this very narrow interpretation of the Dogs case that we've talked about was upheld by Justice French of the High Court in a case of a marriage celibate case. The applicant's argument that the marriage register was a form of establishment was rejected. Following Barwick and Gibbs in the dog's majority, French, Justice French said that the only invalid Commonwealth legislation in relation to marriage would be that it authorised a monopoly in religious marriages in favour of one particular denomination. But then there was an even more interesting case in 2001. It was the Hoxton Park Residents Action Group who sought to prevent the construction of the Malik Fard Islamic School together with a mosque. There was a mosque in the school. The school was also a mosque on residential land at Hoxton Park Road. They commenced proceedings in the Equity Division of the New South Wales Supreme Court based on the allegation that the funding was obtained by way of a grant made under the School's Assistance Act. It was very much like the dog's case, in fact. Now... The, in the lower court, Justice Rain, in the first instance, found that a law for establishing any religion had to recognise that religion as a state religion, a church or a national institution, and he dismissed the case. And the plaintiffs appealed. So you have the dog's case in the lower court uh, being followed, but then something happened. In the New South Wales Court of Appeal, based, Justice Baston with whom Justice Alsop and Beasley also agreed, distinguished the dog's case on the facts and considered that the law, as stated in 1981, might not be settled. They found that the case differed in two respects from the dog's case. First, they said that it alleged direct funding of a religious institution for religious purposes and secondly, in his opinion, developments in constitutional law since the Dogs case in 1981 might allow submission to be made supporting a more flexible approach to the constraints of legislative power as set out in Section 116. So he's opening up Section 116. Now, he was actually mistaken about the plaintiff's arguments in the Dogs case in 1979. 
There had been in that year a trial of facts of 26 days in which the issue was whether religious schools were religious institutions institutions or even more religious than state schools. And evidence was provided by the plaintiffs that schools in Churchill and Geelong were actually used for church purposes in the same way as the mosque was going to be used in the Malik Fard School in Hoxton Park. So he was actually wrong on the facts there. But it was interesting uh, for the dogs, of course, that he thought that this made these schools or this school a religious institution and therefore it may well come under Section 116 on a broader interpretation. However, Baston was correct in stating that there had been developments in constitutional law since the dog's case. In 2008, the question of freedom not only of but from religion raised its head. Ron Williams, a secularist parent from Toowoomba, and he came here on the dogs, the dogs program in 2008, reacted against the imposition of a chaplaincy program on his local, in his local state school. He was aided by ardent and determined secularists, and he decided to put the High Court on trial. Now, he came with Max and Meg Wallace down here to to Melbourne and was on our program to discuss his case with the plaintiffs in the dog's case and they met up with Ray Nielsen. And Ray, who had five university degrees and ran the dog's program here on 3CR for many years, um, was a Christian in the dissenting tradition with a strong humanist streak. At that time in 2008, he only had a year to live, but he was relieved that activists like himself were finally waking up to what had happened in 1981. Now, Williams was successful. He had two cases in the High Court and he was successful, but not on Section 116. Uh, so 116 is still just sitting there because the High Court have not yet had the temerity to really go back to 1981. But there's been a lot of commentaries, uh, particularly following the chaplaincy cases, about the dog's case. When the Constitution took effect in 1901, Quick and Garren, of course, were the first commentators, and theirs was a very biased one and has been taken seriously by the High Court. We have spoken about that in the earlier times, in, in I think, Press Release 724. But within a decade after the dog's case, by the 1990s, there was growing disquiet about the High Court's interpretation of the meaning of establishment from secularists in Australia. Had the High Court favoured religion to the exclusion of non-religious beliefs, they were asking, and could this problem only be solved by a separationist interpretation? Now, since uh, the dog's case, the commentaries have either favoured a national church interpretation, which is what the High Court found in the dog's case, a non-preferential or limited neutrality, non-discrimination interpretation, or a strict separationist neutrality uh, interpretation, which is the position taken by the dogs. Now, not unsurprisingly, the national church interpretation, the backup of um, the High Court finding in 1981, has been followed by uh, a gentleman called Joshua Pools, who was a tutor at Newman College at the University of Melbourne. He was reacting academically to an American who was also, and has since gone on to be very famous um, academic worldwide, uh, when he wrote uh, an article which I'll refer to later. Uh, and as well as that, with the chaplaincy cases, you had um, people from, obviously, a Roman Catholic's uh, back background writing articles backing up the 1981 uh, finding. But as well as that, you've got other academics, particularly up in Queensland where Ron Williams came from in Toowoomba and uh, in Western Australia and elsewhere. It's unearthed problems, you see, for the other clauses, particularly for the free exercise clause. The satisfaction of one might violate the other, 
and too strict a view of the non-establishment clause might amount to hostility to religion and constitute an infringement of free exercise, which we have argued again in, in um, press release 724. Uh, <clears throat> what protection was offered to the exercise of non-religion? The secularists were getting into the Act after 2008. And, of course, uh, the, the people who are promoting the yes vote for same-sex marriage are also concerned that they have not only freedom of religion, but freedom from religion. Now, in 1992, a Stephen McLeish, who's now Justice McLeish of the Victorian Court of Appeal, who was from Melbourne University and um, later Harvard, argued for an imitative principle of neutrality in the federal government's relationship with religion by, by suggesting that secularism could be defined as a quasi-religion. The secularists don't necessarily go along with this, of course. Uh, he complained that the High Court attempted to discern the meaning of Section 116 with unsuitable legalistic tools and the assumption that it was primarily concerned with legislative power rather than civil rights led the majority judgments, he said, to examine a challenge law on its face rather than how it affected citizens in practice. So he suggested a qualified neutrality rather than a separation test. But whatever else McLeish did, he went back to the history and to what um, Inglis Clark and Higgins were about. And he found John Reynolds and Justice Lisi and Richard Ely down in Tasmania and looked at their work. Uh, in 2009, there were other academics like uh, Gonzalo Puig and Stephen Tudor who were calling for the court to broaden Section 116 by finding that, it implied, that it, in it there was an implied right to the freedom of thought and conscience. Uh, in their view, most Australians, when they actually just read it, actually believe that the Constitution protects the right to freedom of thought and conscience, just like it protects, protects other civil and political freedoms, and the court should give effect to that belief. Then there was another guy called Luke Beck, who was a graduate from Sydney University and a lecturer uh, in the School of Law at the University of Western Sydney. And he looked into the convention debates too. And um, he went back to the history. Now, we'll have a little bit of a break now before we go on with Luke Beck and the separationists. Thanks very much, Jean. Yes, we are the Dogs Program. We're talking about issues of separation of religion and the state. Um, look, Jean, this is the third instalment, and it's a very interesting debate. We'll be continuing with it, though, after these messages. Want to defend government schools? We are the Dogs, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great relationships with each other, with the teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. 
Yes, Jane's in the middle of uh, the third instalment of um, a very interesting discussion of separation of religion from the state in the current climate brought on indeed by the same-sex marriage debate. Strange thing to be talking about same-sex marriage and education at the same time, but don't worry, these things are becoming clear as Jean progresses through her very interesting discussions. We, as I say, listen to the DOGS program. We will be later in the program, of course, talking about the great state schools from around the state, and we have one to talk about later on. But also the political implications of what Jean's talking about is something we need, I think, to explore on 3CR, 855 on the AM dial, because no one else seems to be talking about it. Brandis is being so careful skirting around the edges of it, but there's a very fundamental issue which is about to explode on the Australian political stage. And I think thoughts and ideas and religious principles are about to get very heated leading up to Christmas, and it won't be about the normal things that Christmas stuff is about. But, Jean, you were saying... Yes, Robert, you're quite right. Uh, when schools of religious inclination or who are associated, I mean, I think all of us know that they are religious institutions, when they take upon themselves to discriminate against people because of whatever, um, whatever they do in their bedrooms at home, uh, I think people are starting to wonder whether this should be uh, because, in fact, we are paying... Yeah. Billions of dollars well, to no, these institutions. I'm paying for that. Yes, that's right. I'm, you're paying for that. If you pay taxes, you're paying for that situation. And there's a lot of taxpayers out there who go, hang on, I didn't sign up for this. But anyway, let's get back to the broader picture, the historical context. And in fact, in, 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 in all truth, the, the complex legal arguments around this. Jean? Yes, yes. Well, our position uh, has always been, of course, that you have separation of religion and the state. And this is the only answer to these problems. Otherwise, it goes on forever. The problems are there forever. But the separation position um, certainly assists to keep these things apart. But um, I was talking about Luke Beck from Sydney. Luke Beck also took uh, a neutrality position because he went back, he, he criticised the Quick and Garin interpretation that was put forward by the High Court and he went back to the historical uh, realities of the original convention debates. In 2014, after the Hoxton Park cases and school, ca- school chaplaincy cases, Beck was prepared to go even further. He said that the dog's majority judgment was wrong and was not authoritative. And he suggested the High Court reasoning on the meaning of the anti-establishment clause required reconsideration. Now, he's not alone. He was joined in his opinion by Professor Reed Mortensen in Queensland. There was a very big conference up there after the chaplaincy cases and a large number of articles came out in the uh, Queensland Law Journal. And um, he said in an article, The Establishment Clause, A Search for Meaning, he said that the Williams case revealed the impoverished condition of jurisprudence on Section 116. He went back to the convention debates, uh, but he didn't go as far as Inglis Clark. But he said that the problem was that the High Court was looking at a Washminster mutation through the lenses of British law, and in fact, he picked up just outright mistakes, which the dogs had, had picked up. Um, for example, the majority's historical reference to England noted the odd reference to the Scottish Overton case, and Mason's reference to the established Episcopalian Church of Ireland in 1900 when it had been disestablished for 29 years. Now, the Overton case, by the way, dealt with um, a, a bit of a stoush between the Free Presbyterian Church, two Free Presbyterian Churches, and had nothing to do with establishment at all because they were Free Presbyterian Churches. Um, so, really, the High Court judge's own history was really lacking. Now, as his search for a meaning to the clause, Mortensen, however, rejected the separationist interpretation of Justice Murphy and he decided to promote the principle of non-discrimination. But there are plenty of people who are now taking the dog stance on strict separation. Uh, First of all, uh, I think that you'll find that Richard Ely has done this in his work, but the most interesting one was as early as 1990 
with a gentleman called W. Sadursky from Sydney University, who was later an eminent legal academic at Yale and Europe. And he regarded the strict separation interpretation of the non-establishment clause as the only escape from an unattractive dilemma of either favouring religion to the detriment of non-religious beliefs or interpreting genuine secular beliefs as religious. I'll read that again because it is just so relevant to our current situation in Australia. W. Sadursky, in 1990, from Sydney University, who later on became a legal academic at Yale and in Europe, regarded the strict separation interpretation of the non-establishment clause of Section 116 as the only escape from the unattractive dilemma of either favouring religion to the detriment of non-religious beliefs or interpreting genuine secular beliefs as religious. And this could only be resolved, he argued, by adopting the policy of strict neutrality. No aid and no disadvantage is to be triggered by a description of a certain belief or activity as religious. No aid. Our churches and our religious schools should not receive state aid at all if they want to be free from state interference. Now, in 1993, three years later, <coughs> Justice Michael Kirby attended an International Religious Liberty Association conference in Suva. It was run by the Seventh-day Adventists, and I know because I was there, Ray and I were invited. Now, he gave a paper on religious liberty in multicultural Australia, past tolerance and present indifference and future problems. And he actually invited Ray and I to go back to the High Court, and we laughed at him and said, we'll change the membership of the High Court so there's six Michael Kirby's and we might consider. Uh, but in 1994, George Williams, who was a professor at the University of New South Wales in those days, condemned the court's literal interpretation of the Section 116 provision, saying the court has transformed the Constitution into a wasteland of civil liberties, because Section 116 is a very basic civil liberties clause. In 202, he repeated his call for a broad interpretation of Section 116 in his human rights under the Australian Constitution. But in 2006, Helen Irving from Sydney University, who was a researcher specialising in, amongst other things, the use of history in constitutional interpretation, addressed a separation of church and state, keeping God out of government, National Conference of the Rationalist Society of Australia, which was held in Melbourne that year. She claimed that, whereas one can say with some qualification that there's a constitutional separation of church and state in the United States, you can't say that in Australia, in spite of the fact that Section 116 is based on the First Amendment of the American Constitution. And she said, in 1981, the Australian High Court got the dog's case wrong. So before we go on to find out more about what she said and what Murphy said, we'll have just a little bit of a break. Thanks very much, Jane. You're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR855 on the AM dial. Now, if what Jane's talking about um, needs to be put into context for you, you can actually go and get a context for it at our website at www.adogs.info, at www.adogs.info. But we'll be back defending government schools after this. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Now we've got myself, Rob, and Dale and Jean in the, in the studio. We're just going to finish up on the final instalment of Jean's Magnum Avers about describing what's going on with separation of religion and the state in the current political climate. Jean. Yes, well, I was telling you about um, Helen Irving, a professor from Sydney University who took um, a strict separationist um, interpretation of Section 116, which the dogs believe is the answer to our, both our education policy, uh, problem and a lot of other problems that are surfacing concerning religion and freedom of religion and freedom from religion in Australia at the moment. But Helen Irving had this to say. The High Court in the dogs case in 1981 got it wrong when they concluded that Section 116 was not intended as a broad statement of separation of church and state, and they got it wrong in suggesting that establishment was intended to have a narrow meaning. The history of sectarians and religious persecution, which the framers understood well, and which served as a background to their deliberations on both the reference to God in the preamble and their inclusion of the prohibition on religious laws, suggests that they had a wide purpose and scope in mind. They appreciated the multiple dangers inherent in allowing governments to involve themselves in religious matters. Helen Irving, like most commentaries on the dog's case, agrees on one thing. The historical analysis of the meaning of Establishment Clause in 1990, what the High Court judges found, with the exception of Murphy, were either odd, inadequate or just plain wrong. So let's have a look at Lionel Murphy. His dissent stands there for all to read. They're still going after Lionel Murphy, the Conservatives and others in Australia, and what they did to him was very sad indeed. But he was our great dissenting judge, and he referred, in his case, to American case law and history. He noted the explanation of what it really means in Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists. The Baptists in England had worked out what separation of church and state did, as had a lot of Presbyterians up in Northern Ireland and elsewhere. And he turned to the co-author of the Establishment Clause also, James Madison, who put the Establishment Clause or the First Amendment in together with Jefferson. Murphy also noticed the 1975-76 historical research that was done by my husband Richard Ely on the influence of American developments on the framers of the Australian Constitution and refused to be misled by the Quick and Garin account, which has been seriously challenged by not only Ely but also all the commentators I've referred to since. But let's go back, not just to Murphy but to those Danbury Baptists in America. They're a minority group who'd fled European persecution, who, along with the Virginian Presbyterians, got the First Amendment into the American Constitution. They were not established or majority religious groups at all. What did these minority groups have to say about religious freedom after they had been through the crucible of religious persecution? This was what Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists. Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions. I contemplate with sovereign reverence, that act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Thus building a wall of eternal separation between church and state. Congress thus inhibited from acts respecting religion and the executive authorised only to execute their acts 
I have refrained from prescribing even those occasional performances of devotion practised indeed by the executive of another nation as the legal head of its church, but subject here as religious exercise only to the voluntary regulations and discipline of each respective sect. So there you have it, Jefferson and the Danbury Baptists and all of the people who put the First Amendment into the American Constitution understood what it meant to keep the state out of religion and religion out of the state because they believed that they put up an eternal wall of separation between religion and the state. And that is also what our founding fathers believe they did when they put section 116 into the Constitution. And in this generation, as we contemplate the problems that we are now in, particularly when we are dealing with religious institutions that take billions of dollars of taxpayers' money, then I suggest we go back and learn from our forebears. Now that's enough for me to. I feel as if I've been been giving you a sermon. <laughs> but, yes, uh, yes, yes, indeed, Jane. But an interesting, an interesting sermon, in, um, indeed. Uh, you've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWs at www.3cr.org. Um, look, we'll be back after that. But that I think is the conclusion of, of Jean's magnum opus actually and I think it's a very timely point to put it out on the airways and if you're interested in what she's been talking about and want to mull over it some more you can at our website www.adogs.info you can download it um, and, have a, and have a good look at what she's talking about I think it's very well put together but we'll be back with more contemporary issues after these messages This year thousands of people seeking asylum will spend another holiday season incarcerated in offshore prison camps and Australian detention centres. Men, women and children are separated from their families, living in horrendous conditions and have no certainty of their future. Join the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre to let them know that they are not alone and we hear their plea for safety. Sign the open letter to deliver a message of hope to people seeking asylum and refugees by Christmas. Visit addmyvoice.org.au, a 3CR supporter. Sometimes when you need help most, it can be really hard to speak up. If you need things like food, a place to stay or counselling support, there's no shame when you ask Izzy. AskIzzy.org.au is a website that helps you find what you need now and nearby. It's made for mobile and all searches are anonymous. Plus, there are no data fees if you're on the Telstra network. No shame, just ask Izzy. That's A-S-K-I-Z-Z-Y.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Uh, for regular listeners, you're probably wondering why we're talking about these issues of separation so much. It does actually impact in a very direct way what's going on in our education system in the wake of the plebiscite. Well, it wasn't a plebiscite. In, in wake of the big survey relating to same-sex marriage. Now, I think just in a way of potentially summing up what Jean's talking about, and she might disagree with me here because we have slightly different um, different perspectives, on, on certain, certainly on religion, but within the historical context of Australia, the government in the 19th century and leading up to the, to the formation of the Constitution had a very strong idea in their mind that the peculiar tenets of each religion that was involved in the Australian polity were objectively ridiculous to each other, mm. which is to say, I am right and you are wrong, and I am right and no, you are wrong. Um, the... the, the, the um, the pathways to a good job in heaven, as Jean often talks about, were objectively ridiculous to each other. Mm. And in, or, and perhaps even the first half of the 20th century, this was one of the fundamental tenets of the culture of Australia. We don't, as a government, want to get involved in Catholics and Protestants or various branches of Protestantism having an argument with each other because we are the legislature, we are the government, and you can do that over there. We don't want to get involved. So the questions of separation became quite clear-cut, and in fact the education system of Australia was, had, was um, separated out in terms of taxpayer funding um, from those religions, with the exception, of course, of the Catholic school system, which maintained itself without government funding during that time. Now, leading into the second half of the 20th century in the 60s, um, with a sort of cultural revolution around the world, but also here in Australia, the functional relevance of religious worship 
played a much lesser role in the Australian community. And in fact, many schools, and the Catholic school system in particular, said, we can no longer afford to run our own schools with our own money. There aren't enough of us. And so they went to the government cap in hand and said, you have to give us money to run our Catholic schools, um, otherwise we will close down and that way you'll have heaps more problems. We just don't need all a lot of money, just a little bit of money, and we'll do that because our congregations are going down and the relevance of religion in Australia was falling at that time. Anyway, as Jean has documented in many cases, one thing led to another till we get to today. And today, in 2017 in Australia, um, the funding of private schools, private religious schools, is now at a level that is pretty much dollar for dollar for a state school. So every religious school that can open anywhere they like um, can get government funding to put students into their school where they can be taught the peculiar um, peculiar tenets of each religion, which are still objectively ridiculous to any other to, to any other religion. So what goes on in a Baptist school is ridiculous um, when when viewed through the through the eyes of of, of, of a conservative Catholic person, well, and so far and, uh, and 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 so so forth. You've got, um, got your Scientologists now, Robert. You've oh, got you've got your Scientologists. You've got, you've got, got your exclusive Buddhists, brothers. You've got, you've got your Buddhists. You've got your Hindus. You've got your Muslims. You've got all these religions, which, and now in Australia, in a, in a much more multicultural society, the question of that which is objectively ridiculous to a Muslim in terms of is now having to be played out in the public arena because all of them are funded by the government. This is now a question of public policy the politicians now have to deal with. And then you have a community in Australia, which is separate to the religious community in the moment, in a contemporary context, which is the LBGQI community. Now, that community in itself, the existence of that community is offensive to the peculiar talents of a large number of mainstream religions. And this is where the tension comes. Now, normally, the offensiveness of a gay or lesbian person to somebody who has um, a, a strict religious belief that means that their existence is, in fact, offensive, that relationship now has to play out in the public sphere because that religious person is using taxpayers' funding to educate their child in those, pecu- in, in, in those peculiar tenets. And, and that's a cultural shift and, and, and sack people from their schools, which is what I'm coming to. Now you think, well, that's all right. Gay people don't get sacked from schools if they're religious schools. But now, they? now they do. Now they do. Um, and, in fact, there's an interesting example. Uh, Mr Gillespie, who wrote a very interesting book about uh, private schools some, some years ago about the financial silliness of sending your child to one, has now written a very interesting article in the Daily Telegraph. And not only I think I'm going to get Dale to share this with you, but I want to share the reactions of the readers to this article because if, you know, as they say in Sun Tzu, know your enemy, um, a lot of people don't like this being brought up in the way that, that, that Mr Gillespie brought it up. But I think I'll, I'll share what he has to say first. Dale, can you, can you enlighten us? Thanks, Rob. I've got the article by David Gillespie here. It was in the Daily Telegraph on the 22nd of this month, entitled, Forget Bakers. Why can private schools be bigots? Before we get in a tiz about whether bakers are allowed to refuse service to same-sex couples, we should ask why taxpayer-funded schools can refuse to employ them or educate their, their kids. The bill likely to create the mechanics of implementing Australia's decision to support same-sex marriage is the one proposed by Liberal Senator Dean Smith. The so-called Smith Bill allows churches to refuse to marry same-sex couples and many in Parliament appear to accept that this is a reasonable exemption to Australia's anti-discrimination laws. These laws, those laws vary a little according to where you live, but generally prohibit discrimination based on age, gender, marital status, pregnancy, religious belief, sexual orientation, nationality or ethnicity. Marriage in a church is a religious service, and the argument is that it's unreasonable to require the delivery of that service when it does not conform with the religious beliefs of the minister performing it. But some lawmakers want to significantly extend the reach of that ex- exemption. Liberal Senator James Patterson, for example, wanted to see the exemption extended to anyone supplying goods and services to, to a same-sex wedding, such as florists, bakers and musicians. 
Many legislators, including the Prime Minister, are not persuaded that extending that exemption to anyone involved in a same-sex wedding is reasonable. They argue it's a massive overreach which makes a mockery of laws against discrimination. And yet, we have already gutted those laws when it comes to education. Unlike government-run schools, privately run schools are largely exempt from the provisions of Australia's discrimination laws. Under federal laws, a a religious school can discriminate against employees, contractors and students on the basis of their sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, marital or or relationship status or pregnancy. Even harsher provisions are are present in some state laws. In New South Wales, for example, all private schools, whether they claim to be religious or not, can refuse to teach or employ people on the basis of marital status, sex, disability, transgender or homosexuality. In Australia, private schools are taxpayer-funded often to a level which equals or exceeds their public school neighbours. These schools are in the business, and make no mistake, it is a business of delivering education services to a third of Australian children. They collectively employ around 146,000 people, almost 40% of Australia's education workforce, and yet are largely and yet are legally permitted to say and enforce things like staff, parents and students of Grace Christian Schools seek to honour God by ensuring that sex occurs only within a monogamous marriage and that we abstain from homosexual activities. I'm sorry, is, is this a school? You send your children to school to learn to read and write, do arithmetic and all sorts of other things. You don't send them to school to even think or worry about such things. Why, why do these people have sex on the brain? <laughs> because it's they've been repressed sad. for so long. I'm so sad. <laughs> That's really sad. Well, that this I think is what you're saying is, is, is that whole virtue signalling virtue signaling of, 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 of this Christian movement. I mean, they accuse state schools of talking about sex in state schools. <laughs> They accused the, this whole safe schools thing, you know, you know, yeah. they're, they're teaching young children to do sex acts and all that sort of stuff, which is not true. But, but they're saying this and saying, I'm not going to send my child to the safe school because they talk about all this sex stuff. And here they are talking really? about the sex stuff. And I think Jean's got a point, probably got a point in terms of both. <laughs> but yeah, she's right. Why, why are they talking about this to a, to a bunch of year eights? This Let's is, this is not the job of the school. Basic principles of separation of church and state. Mm. A public school, which is publicly funded, should be open to all children and all people, um, with offence to none. Mm. If there is offence caused by religious instruction, there should be no religious instruction on the sc- in the school. If there is offence to people on sex instruction, whoever they may be, then it should not be in the school curriculum. Let's go back to when we actually had schools. They are the only institution which we have in which we can give our children the weapons to survive in a very difficult mm. community. It's funny because it, it, it might not have reached their curriculum, but they certainly go out of their way to make it part of their mission statement, Indeed. which in itself suggests that, you know, what's, like you say, sex on the brain. Well, they're trying to explain why they sacked a gay teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, please, please continue because I think it's a fascinating... Yeah, well, there's only a short... Um, a couple of paragraphs left. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so um, after hearing that Christian school's actual statement uh, that we pay for, the privilege of them being able to do, if you want a job in or your child educated in a very large chunk of the Australian education system, your protections against discrimination are non-existent. Your tax dollars are funding institutions which can legally discriminate against you. And yet, the debate of the day is whether a baker can refuse to supply a cake to a same-sex couple for their wedding day. The nation's attention is now firmly focused on the rights of same-sex couples. So let's use that opportunity to remove the ridiculous protections afforded to the taxpayer-funded businesses that we call private schools. That is where religious freedom can really bite, not at the local cape shop or florist. Yeah, thank you very much, Dale. And I, I'm, 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 firstly, this was published in the Daily Telegraph. 
So the comments online are absolutely fascinating. The comments online are, in fact, where the debate now stands. Because there's a lot of people that are not happy with what David Gillespie just said. They think that's not good. And the reasons why they don't, I think, are fascinating. But before we get to that, because as I say, it, it's, always no, it's always good to know where the rhetoric's sitting these days, right, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. it shifts for dec- from decade to decade. Before we get to that, I would like to say that if you have a religion with peculiar religious tenets, which might indeed be offensive to some, um, I, think, I think that's fine. I actually think that's fine. I, I think if, if you want to form a group for women only as a safe space, I think that's... Ab- I don't even give permission for that because that would just be rude as a man. Um, you do what you like. Um, I don't have to give you permission. You just take that space and you take that time. If you want to set up a, a men's shed movement, if you want to set up a movement that excludes other men or women, or if you want to set up a church and you say, well, we're going to worship this way in this church, and if you don't want to worship this way in this church, you know, perhaps this isn't the place for you, although you come along and we'll try and convince you. Um, I actually think all of that just makes perfect sense. You know, the whole anti-discrimination thing, I think there are places and times where people of a like mind, either religious or indeed otherwise, I mean, if, if a bunch of um, Indigenous elders want to come together, to talk about something about that, that, that's important to them and they want to exclude other people. Yeah, that's fine. I, I, why, 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 why is that a problem? That is, that, is, that is life. That is a pluralistic society. I don't even tolerate it because tolerance is a patronising thing to do. It's just what should be. Um, so in terms of this school, if they have particular religious tenets, which, as you said, you know, the homosexual act and sex out of marriage is all not what we do and, and those, those are our beliefs... Um, they can preach that at the church. Um, they can even have a school to do that, but not with my money. Not with my money. If that community supported itself and wanted to educate its ch- children in the Australian curriculum and then they wanted to have that as part of their Sunday school program, that's actually not my business. And it's not my business to talk about it on the radio, actually. The only reason we're talking about it on the radio is that they're using my money to do it. I paid five cents to that school to do that, and that's five cents too much. So I'd, I'd just like to get that out in the open because that's actually the dog's position. Mm. You know, what you do in your own bedroom, blah, blah, blah. And I've also heard in terms of people saying, well, if this man has gone to this school and has worked there, then he's lied about his sexuality, so you don't want liars teaching. No. And when people say that, that really gets my gate because so, for so many years, people in, in the LBGTQI community have been forced, not asked, they've been forced to lie about themselves again and again and again. And someone saying, well, they should have just kept lying and they could have kept their job. No, now is not that time. 2017 is definitely not that time. So that's one of the arguments that, I, that I'd like to highlight was pointed out by some of the respondents to this article. He just should have lied and because he, because he did lie that he didn't lie, he should have been sacked because he's a liar. Um, Anyway, that, that's, I think we can dismiss that as a, as a logical argument. But I'm interested in some of the others, Dale, and perhaps you can share. I'll, I'll share with you and, and see what you reckon. One person, I mean, there's the straight-up ad hominem, mm-hmm. which is to say the author of this article would say that because he's anti-religion um, and he's bigoted and he's got a log in his own eye. And it's obviously he, personally, um, doesn't like the funding of these schools in Australia. So the first thing is they attack the order. There's nothing you can say about that. You go, yes, no, who, who cares? Well, he does. Personal attack, we? foul, five-yard five penalty. You know, just, just, just get, off, get off the debating floor. It's not very interesting. Um, the second one is, of course, they go straight to, look, parents at this school pay their taxes and they should get their fair share for their children in their school and they should just be funded by the government. This, this is in response to the article. They should be funded by the government um, because that's fair. Um, Should we have a Roman Catholic and um, a Muslim uh, defence force? What? Quite separate. Should we have a defence force that is paid for only by Roman Catholic taxes, and that's a separate one? And uh, Well, I was thinking more along the lines of, okay, your percentage of taxes that um, you know you pay that you deserve um, you know some kind of payback for I think it might come in the roads that you're driving your big SUVs on you know it might come in the form of the hospitals that you take Johnny to when yep. he's crook yep. you know your taxes go towards that 
you know. So if if you want to say, no, well, actually, I don't want to pay for the roads. I just want to pay for my school. Then don't use the roads. I mean, that's yeah. a ridiculous yeah. argument. Yeah. I'm not paying for public transport costs because I bought a car. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, but no, no, no. You paid. Your taxes go towards the infrastructure that allow roads for your cars to drive on. So, you know, you can't just say, you can't just say, oh, I, my taxes are just for the school. Then stop taking advantage of all the other things that the rest of our taxes pay for. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the first argument. There is actually oh, another thing that can be said there. Some of these wealthy people don't actually pay taxes. That was a very oh, good point. Yeah, very, very good, good point. point. Although I'm not sure that's true of this particular Baptist school because often independent schools are dependent, so very dependent on taxpayers' money because if there's no taxpayers' money, the school doesn't exist. And that's why they're screaming. Mm. Okay, so that's the first argument. second argument is a standard one. I think it's an interesting one. Um, Basically, the argument is, well, not only are these religious schools being funded by the government, but they're not paying tax. And so getting funded by the government... Mean, and, and if, if they don't get funded by the government, if they're forced to pay tax, then, of course, the argument is, well, then the school will close down. If the school closes down, then that's why all, all these kids will have to go to a state school, and that will cost everyone much more money. Now, this argument's been run for decades, hasn't it, Jane? Mm. It's now demonstrably, fact-checkably, not true. Mm. Because private schools, in fact, this school, I've checked the data, gets dollar for dollar what the local state school gets down the road. Dollar for dollar. Dollar for dollar. Take it over. So, so you take it over, you don't lose anything, you don't win anything, you just stop all this silliness. It, becomes, it doesn't become a religious school, it becomes another state school. Um, in fact, you probably close it down because there's probably about enough spare chairs in the state school down the road. You save money by consolidating mm. because you don't have the duplication issue, which Jane right. often talks about. So that's the second argument. I don't think we need to respond to that anymore <laughs> because that's just a fact. That's just, that's just someone saying something that's not true. Yeah. Now, the next argument. Next argument that's used is that, and, and this is a quote from Private Servant, who's a comment, comment they call Private Servant because they don't put their proper name to it. They say, the public education system is a non-educational focused mash of political feminism, left-wing idealism, and it belongs in North Korea. So that's oh. your old commie pinko yeah. argument. Oh, yeah. I know North Korea gets brought up about, about twice every page of it's comments. It's the new Hitler. Yeah, it, it, it's the new Hitler, as you're all fascist. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just an opinion. No, no. State schools I've worked in, and I work, I've worked in dozens and dozens of them, are all mashes of political feminism, left-wing idealism, and they're not from North Korea. Ridiculous thing to say. Just to finish off, the one argument that's they're not sad. using, the one it's argument that's not being used in any of these comments is the argument from religious liberty. <laughs> the, all of the arguments are practical, and this isn't sort of the ideological, but they're not actually about religious liberty because they know they haven't got a leg to stand on. They're not talking about that. And the Baptists, of course, well, it was the Danbury Baptists who once, many years ago, centuries ago, understood what it meant. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've run out of time in, in this hour-long program to actually talk about the state school, great schools, because we got so involved in separation of religion from the state, which is quite right. It, it's good to get deep into these things. Um, so if you do have any ideas, please actually email us or get in touch with the station, 3CR 855 and AM dial. Contact the station and let us know if you've got a state school that you'd like us to highlight on the DOGS program next week. But until next week, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have your company, it's from us here at the DOGS program. Bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. 
takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your Ten years dead, I never died. Too.